Hi, I'm Sarah Lee, and joining me is my co-host, Juliana, and welcome to Murder Psyche Podcast, a podcast where we dive into old and new cases and try and figure out why the killers did it. We are here for you every week with a new case, and if you would like to recommend any cases, you can check out our Instagram at Murder Psyche Pod or Twitter at Murder Psyche. Also, quick announcement, we have a YouTube channel now! <laughs> so if you would like to watch us discuss instead of hearing us, you can head over to youtube.com and search Murder and Psyche Podcasts. Warning, there are graphic descriptions of crime scenes in the episode. Viewer discretion is advised. Now let's get into the episode. Also, this is our first episode where we don't talk about a serial killer. Serial killers are really interesting. Side note, before we start, some things I may not say be completely true due to translation between Portuguese and English. Yeah, I saw, I found like several articles where I was like, I know this is translated because that's not how you say that. (laughs) (laughs) But it was like, it was, like I understood what they were trying to say, but there might be a language barrier in some of it. Yes. So, this also takes place in Brazil, not America, so surprise, surprise. Anyways, Suzanne von Richtofen was born on May 3rd, 1983 in Sao Paulo, Sao Paulo, I think, Brazil. Suzanne lived with her mother, Maricia von Richtofen, her father, Manfred, and her younger brother, Andreas. Maricia was a well-known Brazilian psychiatrist and came from Lebanese descent. Manfred was a German engineer and was the director of the state company for highway development. Suzanne's parents were very wealthy with an estimated worth of $17 million. This wealth allowed them to provide the best of the best education for Suzanne and Andreas. Neighbors described the family as close, very intellectual, and quiet. They were never a family to throw parties. Suzanne was described as a happy but a shy little girl. Suzanne ended up graduating from a German high school and furthered her education at the Pontifical Catholic University to study law. When Suzanne turned 18, Manfred, her father, opened up two offshore accounts in Suzanne's name. And I believe that they were in Sweden, but I was never able to confirm that. Oh, we probably can't confirm it. It's probably confidential. Yeah, it probably is. At the time, there were allegations that Manfred was embezzling money from his company. However, these allegations were never verified. Also, at the age of 18, Suzanne was so intelligent that she knew three different languages and took ballet classes regularly. In the summer of 1999, Suzanne started taking Brazilian jiu-jitsu classes. Here, she would meet Daniel Cravenitos. Cravenitos? Cravenitos? Well, it's Spanish, so it's Cravenitos. Age is silent. I don't, I don't speak Portuguese, but I don't speak Portuguese. We're butchering it. But well, we speak Spanish, and that is the closest you're going to get. Daniel is the complete opposite of Suzanne. Daniel had grown up in a poor household, wasn't as educated, and regularly used drugs. Soon after meeting, they started dating. Initially, Suzanne's parents just ignored their relationship and thought it would pass quickly. However, they didn't know throughout the relationship, Suzanne would shower Daniel with money and expensive gifts while he exposed her to drugs. The parents found out about Daniel's regular use of marijuana and his refusal to get a job and a better education. 
So they told Suzanne of their disapproval of the relationship and the belief that Daniel was just using Suzanne for the family wealth. However, Susan dismissed their claims and started sneaking out to see Daniel. In July of 2002, Suzanne's parents went on a month-long vacation. During the vacation, Daniel moved into the house with Suzanne and Andres. Once the parents returned, Suzanne asked if they could buy her an apartment. Suzanne had the intentions of getting the apartment and had Daniel live with her. However, Manfred told Suzanne that she could get an apartment once she earns the money to get one. Mm-hmm. Which, like, good on them. I think they were just like, we're not going to fund something we don't support. Which, I mean, yeah. Fair enough, I would do the same. Yeah. <laughs> this interaction, along with the disapproval of the relationship, caused Suzanne and her parents' relationship to become strained. One night, Suzanne and her mother got in an argument, and Mauricia gave Suzanne an ultimatum. Suzanne can continue her relationship with Daniel or continue to be financially supported by her parents. This didn't sit well with Suzanne at all. So on the night of October 31st, 2002, America's Halloween. Yes. Fun fact, they don't celebrate Halloween in other places besides America. No, that's just an American thing. We're weird. Like, we were like death? <laughs> Scaring people? Yeah, that's for us. Because in Mexico, they celebrate the Day of the Dead. But that's more ceremonial and like, yeah. meaningful, whereas Halloween to us is just like, let's scare a bunch of children. <laughs> Boo! <laughs> Basically. Boo. Boo! So on the night of October 31st, 2002, Suzanne and Andreas went to a cyber cafe to hang out with some friends. Before they left the house, Suzanne disabled the security cameras surrounding the home and the alarm system at the cafe. Suzanne met up with Daniel and his brother, Christian. The three of them left the cafe and headed back to Suzanne's house. They drove into the garage and Suzanne walked into the home. Suzanne went upstairs to her parents' bedroom to make sure they were asleep. Once she confirmed they were asleep, she signaled to Daniel and Christian to enter the home and do the job. So Suzanne went to the home library while Daniel and Christian grabbed iron bars and put on their clothes. Once the brothers entered the bedroom, they started bludgeoning the parents with iron bars. Despite their force, the parents didn't die quickly. The boys grabbed wet towels to drown out their screams, but this didn't help much. Daniel ended up going downstairs to the kitchen to get a jug of water to drown the parents. When Mauricio still remained alive, the brothers suffocated her with a plastic bag. Sadly, both parents faced slow, painful deaths. Once they were dead, Suzanne entered the bedroom to make sure they were dead. After the murders, Suzanne, Daniel, and Christian made the scene look like a burglary that gone deadly. They turned, like they took some cash and scattered paper around. <laughs> As you can see, I had a side rant. I see the side rant. And I'm like, <laughs> I was oh like, no. Because I was reading it and it's, how do you kill your parents? How do you just, I... There, I think there must be some underlying issues that we're not seeing here. Because I don't think that that's the only thing. Like, she just met Daniel, and that's the only thing that motivated her to kill her. I know not everyone has a great relationship with their parents. But when you have parents like hers, who are trying the best they can to give you the best education and provide everything for you, I've been in love before. I will admit that. I've been in love before. But never once did I think while I was in love with said boy that I was going to murder my parents to be with him. Well, I think it's also a greed thing as well. Because, well, yeah, her family was wealthy. So she was like, I get the boy and the money. But also, like, your parents are wealthy, so. Your parents? Are you kidding me? If I murdered my parents, 
Norberto would not come after me because he doesn't want to come back at all as anything. Not even like a butterfly. But Celine, on the other but hand. But Celine will come back and fuck me over. She will beat my ass as a ghost. In the afterlife, you're just dead. Like you're... No, she'll be in the afterlife. I'll be on here. And she'll just be like, you thought that was a good idea. Are you happy now? Guess who's going to die from a ghost? And everyone's gonna think she's crazy. Just every time something's going good in your life, Celine just like shows up and like fucks it up. I will, I will fear Celine more than I will fear anything in this world, especially if she becomes a ghost. Celine is a ghost, just seems scary. Like she, she would abuse whoop, her power. She, she could whoop my ass, but I can't. She whoop your ass now, <laughs> Celine. So once they left the house, Suzanne and Daniel had. <laughs> once they left the house, Suzanne and Daniel headed to a motel while Christian went to a fast food restaurant. They did it. Why do you like just go to Mickey D's after? <laughs> you're like, hey guys, I'm sorry. I'm not, you call up your friends. You're like, hey, I want to get some Mickey D's, and you're like, it's two in the morning. <laughs> well, even that, you're like, ah, oh, just murdered my parents. Should go get some McDonald's. <laughs> like, I know. I, I know I'm making like jokes or whatever. I know it's like I'm very serious, but like, yeah, this is really bad. But also like, <laughs> like what? what? <laughs> I don't understand. I mean, it could be like they're. Yeah, this is like an alibi. This is their way to forge an alibi. So they're like, I couldn't have done it. I was here with these people. And then in Suzanne and Daniel's case, they were like, we were at a motel. Doing motel things. Doing motel things. Alright. So around 3 in the morning, Suzanne and Daniel checked out of the motel and went back to the cyber cafe. Once at the cyber cafe, Suzanne and Andreas headed back to the house and discovered the crime scene and called the police. Well, Andreas discovered it. Suzanne discovered it. Discovered. Andreas oh. was like, oh. And then Suzanne was like, oh, that's so sad though. Imagine coming home. Yeah. Because Andreas doesn't know what's going on. No, this man was just chilling at a cyber cafe. He was like Friends. playing some Minecraft. Yeah. Once the police arrived and heard the story given by Suzanne and Andreas, they felt like something was off. They suspected only someone close to the family would have done this because the alarm system and the security cameras were still turned off. Also, they noticed one, the paper scattered around seemed like someone had placed them around perfectly, like they were careful about where they placed them. Two, the family's valuables were left untouched. And three, there was a placed gun in Manfred's hand. I'm assuming they found the gun suspicious because when a person dies initially, their body just goes completely limp. So before, like, um, I think liver mortis, I think that's what it's called. Rigor mortis. Rigor mortis, that's what it's called. Where your body stiffens up in whatever position you are. But when you immediately pass, everything goes limp. So therefore, if Manfred was trying to, like, defend himself with a gun, he would have dropped the gun once he passed. Yeah, most likely he would have dropped it. And it like, would have been next to him, but, like, not in, in his, his hand. hand. Like, he was still holding it. Yeah. That, and if he shot it, there would be gun residue on him. Yes. So, the next day, they became suspicious of Suzanne because she was seen swimming in the home pool with Daniel and seemed oddly calm about her parents' tragic passing. They became even more suspicious when hours after their parents' burial, Suzanne threw a big party for her 19th birthday. Like, we're both 18. Like, this is like our age. Yeah, she's around our age in this. But like, yeah, but it's it's just so weird to me to like, you just did this horrific crime. You're like, my 19th birthday, yay, come, just like, bring me pussy. 
But imagine how her friends felt in this. That would feel so awkward. Like life. if your friend was like, I know my friends just passed. But I'm throwing a big ass party. <laughs> and like, it's also interesting because her family's done throw parties. Yeah, her family was like really quiet. That's what the neighbor said. So like, something's up if all of a sudden this quiet girl is throwing a big party. Suspicious. So suspicious. Police started shadowing Suzanne and Daniel after they found out that Christian bought a new motorcycle in cash with the hundred dollar bills. Daniel's brother does not. Okay, out of all like the IU discovery and like shows that I've seen, like, you don't if you're somehow connected to like you know what I mean? Like not that I'm saying murderers be smart, but don't I'm just murder saying <laughs> that like that's not smart. <laughs> like it's not a smart move. So, on November 9th, 2002, Suzanne, Daniel, and Christian were, arrest- were arrested and all three of them confessed to the murders. Once the media found out about the confessions, they had a field day and focused on the contrast between the brothers and Suzanne. The media believed that Daniel was the mastermind and Suzanne was the helpless little girl who landed in the wrong crowd. <laughs> They believe this because Daniel and Suzanne's statuses, Daniel as well as Christian, fit this mold of these drug-addicted, poor, ugly thugs, where Suzanne was this bright, affluent, beautiful girl next door. Like, how could she have done this? The media pushed this narrative until a certain interview came out. You see, Suzanne and her lawyer were doing this interview, and before they started the interview, you can hear her lawyer tell Suzanne to start sobbing once the cameras, like, started rolling. However, the cameras had been running the whole time and caught this, and it was aired on television, thus destroying Suzanne's reputation. So on July 17, 2006, Suzanne, Daniel, and Christian were put on trial for the murders of Manfred and Mauricia and were charged with qualified homicide, which is the equivalent to first-degree murder but in Brazilian law. Suzanne had presented her defense that Daniel made her do it and she had no motives to kill her parents. Daniel knew that Suzanne adored him like a god and feared that if she didn't kill her parents, then Daniel will leave her. If that is your man's mindset, run. (laughs) Jesus. Daniel made her believe that he loved her and the only way they could be together is if the parents were out of the picture. Or so her defense says. Or so that was her defense. Saying, quote, the Kubikos family thought I was the golden goose that laid golden eggs. They wanted to keep all my money. Daniel forced me to do everything I did, end quote. The brothers presented their defense that Suzanne was the mastermind and they only did it to appease her. Daniel presented an additional defense of doing it to protect Suzanne. Daniel had claimed that Manfred sexually abused Suzanne and both parents were alcoholics. However, Suzanne and Andreas denied that Suzanne was ever sexually abused by their father. Also, the autopsies found zero alcohol content at the time of their deaths, which, which I mean is possible, but like if they are claimed alcoholics, it's weird. Yeah. Well, it's like if you're an alcoholic and if you are murdered, there is the possibility that there's no alcohol Yeah, content. it's a possibility, but like the likelihood is low. Yeah. And when it came time for the prosecution to de- present, they said that Suzanne was the mastermind and Daniel and Christian did it to appease Suzanne and were promised for a cut of the money. As prosecutor Robert Tardelli, I think is what you say, mm-hmm. put it, 
Suzanne wanted to, quote, get her hands on money and assess and assets her parents had worked so hard to obtain. She wanted to have freedom and independence without having to work for it, end quote. Suzanne's additional motive was to get vengeance against her parents for not accepting her relationship with Daniel. One correspondent tried to explain some of Suzanne through Hannah Ardent's theory of banality of evil. The prosecution pushed for Suzanne, Daniel, and Christian to get 50 years each. During the trial, Daniel and Christian would be seen crying while Suzanne remained unemotional. At one point, Suzanne can even be seen laughing at Daniel and Christian for crying. That's not even their parents. Yeah, I know. Well, they're also going to jail for like a really long time. Yeah, four years, but like it's still like. They showed remorse. Yeah, it seems unremorseful. Mm -hmm. So on July 22nd, 2006, Suzanne was sentenced to 40 years for qualified homicide, while Daniel and Christian were sentenced 38 years for conspiracy. In 2009, Suzanne attempted to appeal her sentence and changed it to house arrest, but this was denied. Suzanne attempted to do this again in 2011 and was, once again, denied. Also in 2011, Andreas <laughs> sued Suzanne for half of the inheritance and the insurance policy on their parents. Luckily, Andreas ended up winning all of her inheritance and the insurance policy. In 2011, Suzanne denied her chances of parole to stay in prison with her lover at the time, Sandra Regina Gomez. Also, Daniel got married to a woman by the name of Anil. I don't know how to say that name. Aline? Aline? Maybe. Aline Bento. In recent years, Suzanne became engaged to a man by the name of Rodrigo Albert, but the engagement ended. Attempts to free Suzanne have been made, however, the courts believe that she's not ready to leave because of her lack of regret of like committing these crimes. Suzanne was supposed to inherit a condo from her grandmother, but this was sold away to pay off her debt. So the only money she'll be able to receive is the money in the two offshore accounts. Since they're not in Brazil, yeah, or a country that they have allies with, I'm assuming they can't get like a subpoena or something in the law to obtain that money. Yeah. Also, Daniel was allowed to leave prison for six months to celebrate his honeymoon, and I believe if the doc if the articles I read were correct, that Daniel and Christian were released from prison. Yeah, I think. But that could be like, that's all like, a lot of it is like, because we're not in Brazil, it's not. Well, we don't know how their law or judicial system uh, works. I know roughly how it works, but I'm not super familiar with it. They have very different laws and a lot more political unrest than we do. Well, we have political unrest, but not to the extent <laughs> that it, it occurs in Brazil, if that makes any sense. Yeah. It's also very interesting that you could leave. Like in Brazil, they, if you're a good prisoner, they let you leave. Yeah, you can leave. It's called temporary departure. Yeah, I was telling my mom about it. She's like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, it's like a temporary exit or departure. Like if I was ever in jail in Brazil, my mom could just call up the jail and be like, "We need her for a quinceanera." <laughs> yeah, you could do that, <laughs> and I can leave for a few, like a little while. Also, I would like to bring up that well, besides the parents, but Andreas was like the biggest victim in this. Yeah, because not only were his parents married, but also his sister murdered them. It's like he thought he can go to his sister for emotional support and no. His sister just killed him. Oh. Well, my analysis, I guess, I should start. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to discuss something that Sarah brought up earlier. She talked about, um, they brought up in 
the trial of this like weird concept of um, banality of evil. I think I'm saying that right. If I'm not, it's I already you can't messed just it up. Correct it. But like it was uh, written in like the early 1900s or whatever, and I talked about um, but like 19 after World War Two, and it talked about um, Nazi the Nazi regime and whatever. Hannah. Uh, Ardents, um, she talked about how she had met a Nazi, a man who was, um, who participated in transferring Jews to concentration camps and gassing them. She talked about how she found that he was not an evil person, but he committed evil things. The concept that, like, humans aren't inherently evil, but they can do evil things. Like, there's evil people, and then there's, like, people who aren't evil, but they do evil things. Like, her theory mm-hmm. was that. And um, in terms of his, the man that she was talking about was Adolf Eichmann. I don't know. Eichmann? Eichmann? Eichmann, I think. Uh, she made the claim that he had the inability to think from the standpoint of, like, other perspectives and thinking for, for about somebody else and what, what it's like to be in their shoes, basically. And therefore, because he, he's not able to see from other perspectives, he, he couldn't de- decipher between right and wrong. So mm-hmm. he could, he didn't know that he was doing evil. So thus the theory that like he's not evil, but he does evil things. Basically, she's like he's not inherently evil, but shallow and clueless, drifting into directions and structures of others without deep ideological beliefs in that system. If that makes any sense. So was that a sociopath in a way? Well, that's that's what a lot of the critical the, the critics say or whatever. But the in the trial, it was used as look, she's not evil. She just did an evil thing. Mm. And that makes any sense. They were saying she's not... Look, Suzanne is not evil. She just did an evil thing. If that makes sense. Mm. Like, she didn't know it was... Like, she... She's not a bad person. Don't make her go to jail for so long. She murdered they, her and parents. And they, they quoted this... Uh, they quoted Hannah to, like, prove it. And it's about Nazi. And, and her family was, like, uh, part, German. part German. And so I think that's pro- probably one of the reasons they brought it in there. But it's a lot of critics are very critical of her theories. A lot of it say it's basically describing when you say that that they don't, they can't look from other people's perspectives or whether they. Critics are saying that like that's an inherent human capability of like having thoughts and having a conscience. Like that is something that is yeah, inherently you human. You know the difference between right and wrong. And if you don't, then that's sociopathic or psychotic. So they're saying that's not a reason for her to not have a long sentence, basically. You're a sociopath, you killed someone, like, you yeah. killed your parents, you don't, that's not an excuse. And a lot of people are like, specifically, not in, to the, in the trial, but like, just to Hannah's claims about being, doing evil things, but not being an evil person. People are very critical of saying like, this man that she was evaluating and basing her theories upon, he did have thoughts and he did perform evil deeds, like, genocide and rape even if it was on behalf of the nazi regime he still did it and he was yeah. consciously there so there people are like that's not an excuse to say he wasn't evil and he wasn't a bad person so i mean as far as like say that so. goes like that's why i really believe that wasn't a good example on trial of for um suzanne and he's like because it it just it wasn't strong enough evidence to say like she didn't need the long sentence because mm. it can e- easily be contradicted to be to easily contradicted to say like hey but that's an inherent inherent human behavior to see from other people's shoes to empathize or to sympathize yeah and if you can't that's sociopathic and or psychotic and 
you're going to jail. Like, you know what I mean? So, well, if you commit a crime and you don't see what's wrong with it, I think you're gonna be thrown in jail. Yeah, but that was a defense and it kind of just sucked. But as far as like her psyche or whatever, um, the I wanted to go over like a lot of people made the argument when she made the argument in trial, it was like her boyfriend was manipulative about it. And the only I did some research about like manipulation and like how you in toxic relationships or whatever. And to be honest, it's really indeterminate because we would have to see and evaluate and like observe the their social dynamic before the murders. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And how they interacted because a lot of it has to do with like guilting and um, forcing like, them to feel negative thoughts about themselves even if they're not doing wrong. Like was it was Daniel actually abusive and Suzanne was this victim who thought she was in love with this man? Yeah. Or what like was it an okay like a good relationship? Suzanne was just using the excuse. Yeah, well I was trying to remain like super unbiased when I did research on it and the only thing I could really like find that like you could probably prove in court is like a, a symptom but like a quality that you often find in abusive and manipulative relationships is like uh, the abuser will oftentimes find try to establish a physical place where they can be more controlling and dominant over that person mm-hmm. so when they got that apartment or whatever the day was supposed to stay with her that could have been a sign mm-hmm. of being um manipulative and he could have like guilted her into being like oh you're so rich and you don't have to worry about the things i have to worry about yeah or whatever but that's like the only evidence i can find and that's not necessarily just because it's there that doesn't necessarily mean it was manipulative yeah to murder so it's like very vague and i to be honest in court you unless you had more evidence you couldn't really prove anything well it has to be proven within a without a shadow a shadow of a doubt in america but who knows what's going on in the judiciary that's true in brazil, in brazil it um be. if they do have judges or whatever but in the judge mainly decides but it's um the the judge really wasn't having it they, they were like yeah no and she actually had like a psych evaluation like during the tr- like in the middle of the trial it was like um it's called like a warsaw test but it's basically like an ink ink block test we know where they show the pictures oh and they're like describe what you see <laughs> what was she like i saw me murdering my mother <laughs> yeah basically i mean no she probably didn't do that but it's what you see and what you describe and what certain pictures make you feel is supposed to like psychologically evaluate what type of person you are. Oh. And so they determined that she was manipulative, disguised, narcissistic, um, insidious, and possessing camouflaged aggression. So like she was angry inside, but she had a very stoic demeanor. Oh. So very weird. They also said that she was very, she had high um, egocentrism. So narcissistic, yeah, obviously very centered around herself, which I mean is common in um, when in wealthy <laughs> families to have kids be feel like they're all important or whatever, because they grew up in a power in a power structure yeah. where they were the most important, or their parents made them feel like they were the most important or whatever. But her manipulation is like really like you can see her manipulative nature if you just look at. How she acts. How she acts. I mean, um, there was even a prosecutor from the from Brazil or the the little county or whatever that came to like talk to her, and he like kissed her on the cheek or whatever. Like you know how they do the mm-hmm. cultural culture. Yeah. And I guess he made suggestive natures that um, inmates had claimed that she encouraged, but afterwards she said that she felt uncomfortable and charged him with sexual harassment. 
which is very manipulative. So she's trying to say like, oh, the prosecution is just trying to get with me. They're abusing me or whatever. In some form or fashion. In some form or fashion. And then she was also known to change her, change her sexuality a lot to her advantage. So she felt like being homosexual at the time was going to help her the most. She was homosexual. And then she would change to straight when she needed to manipulate sexual harassment. Was there ever a possibility that she was actually bisexual or pansexual in a way? Um, Does she just show one side more to help her? It's, it's possible, but um, as far as like doing research about it, like the Brazilian country, Brazilian uh, countries or, or culture is not super familiar with that type of education or like sexuality. Because mm-hmm. they're very, so they, they probably, tend to be more religious or whatever. Yeah. So, so in their eyes, oh, she's changing. She's changing or whatever. But regardless, she's going back and forth. At least with like the prosecutor, or whatever. I don't believe she was actually attracted to the prosecutor. I think she was trying to manipulate it mm-hmm. during the trial or whatever. But I mean, she's known to have like the best behavior in prisons. Like she's very like the best prisoner. Like. The, yeah. They all like her. Like it's it's whack. It's like but it. yeah, it's whack. She's like the best, and eat, like when their reports, it's always like the first chunk of like because they have to send reports to the judge. So the judge can decide whether or not she gets to like go home on house arrest or whatever. Uh-huh. And so the the first part of the report is always like staff from like the prisons or whatever, um, or like just like not tie up staff, but just like staff that interact on yeah. a daily basis. And they're always like very praising of her behavior. But then they're all, there's a report with like the higher up authorities that are always like very harsh on her behavior. Mm-hmm. Very, they recognize she's manipulative. They say, and it's, this is a quote or whatever, they describe her as an unrecoverable prisoner. She has psychotic behavior that's manipulative and malicious with detainees. So like other prisoners. She's her effective um, involvement with one of the, she has effective involvement with one of the most undisciplined and feared detainees. So she's like, she's like super nice to the point where like she's friends with everybody in the prison, even some of the like worst prisoners. Um, Yeah, because of the girl, she was, because it was rumored that like, it wasn't rumored, but they had signed a few documents to live in a, like they shared a cell together and it looked as if it was a marriage certificate of Brazil. Yeah. But since they're more of a, they're not open to same-sex marriages. It wasn't recognized within, but it was like that girl Gomez. She, I think, believed murdered her husband. Mm-hmm. So like, she was also someone who had murdered. Wow. <laughs> Cannot wow. be me. Um, yeah, but the the also the authorities also criticized her like manipulation of like the, the accusation of sexual harassment of the prosecutor. They were very critical of that. Mm-hmm. They were like. Inmates that they interviewed had said that she kind of encouraged it, and then guards also said that she kind of encouraged his bad behavior. bad behavior. That it wasn't even like bad; it was like just suggestive, which is kind of disgusting anyway. Considering she like murdered her parents and is in jail, and you're a prosecutor for the other side. Yeah, if their thing, if in their way of suggestive is the cheek kisses, because if someone I'm part of a Mexican household, that's just normal. Like, I do that with family members all the time. Well, she claimed that, like, his closeness to her was uncomfortable or something like that. Which, I mean, as a as a prosecutor, you don't really want to get buddy-buddy with, like, 
the murderer, the, 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 <laughs> in, the murderer or whatever, especially if you're prosecuting them. But because that could be in return. So like, yeah. So he he was like taken off the case or whatever. But like, the, I don't. The judge did not go through the sexual like harassment. They just dismissed it, but they took him off the case. Okay. So like, basically, it was like, yeah, she. It's it's. We interviewed people. We talked to the authorities at the prison. It was like she encouraged it, but he shouldn't have done it. So yeah, whatever. Don't don't try and like make a move on a girl who just murdered her family. Yeah, and she hasn't talked to her brother in like ten to eleven years, like at all. Andreas, I wouldn't want to talk to her. Either. No, I would. I totally understand. Um, Poor Andreas. But in Brazilian culture, their family structures are very family, family, family. Like it's mm. all about family. You socialize a family. You associate with people by family, and your family doesn't like them. You don't really socialize with them, mm. and so. To not have contact with your brother for so long is like the unheard of. Unheard of. So like, like the authorities are like very critical of the fact that like she doesn't even contact her brother, and that's her family, and like yeah. that means a whole lot more to them than it does a lot of other issues. Which is interesting because for us we'd be like, well, yeah, I, I wouldn't contact her either. But to them, it's like, wow. Well, I think in a Latinx household, because this is how I've grown up, where you talk to your family. And if you don't talk to your, it's like this big taboo. Yeah. Like you associate with them. You're always in contact. For most parts, you live near them your entire life. Yeah. It's weird when you don't. And it's, yeah, it's just this thing where you are surrounded by them. It's just more shocking to their culture. Because like even, even like murderers and inmates in the prison still talk to their families. Even if their families like don't associate, like don't. They're like. That what you did was fucked up. Yeah, yeah, but they still talk. That's yeah. the thing. Family is like everything to this, this the culture, and it's like, wow, she doesn't even talk to her brother. Like that's a big deal to them. And yeah. honestly, Andreas, yes, don't talk to your sister. But it's it's She's crazy bitch. But that's that's why a lot of them are like critical. It's just like. She's off the rails or whatever. Yeah. Also, like the temporary departure thing. Like she's actually been out a couple of times mm-hmm. on temporary departure on Mother's Day and Father's Day because there's no laws prohibiting that she can't celebrate that. There should be. No, like I literally, I was confused when I read it, and so I looked it up, and like it's a considered a holiday. Even if, it's considered a holiday, even if they don't like close businesses, it's considered it, and they can't prohibit inmates from celebrating it. So she can just get out on Mother's Day or Father's Day if she wants. That okay? I think there should be a law. Just you know, for I, her. I was like, I was like, what? And so she's on temporary departure. I mean, they know where she is, but like she yeah, has to come sure back. They, she's come I'm back. sure they put like a track around her somewhere. And have people with like yeah, shadow yeah. to walk where she was. But in. she can go wherever she wants. She's seen like getting ice cream, picking flowers. That with I don't like her. That. Like she, her before she broke up with her um, fiance, fiance or whatever. Yeah, she's like seen doing normal people shit on Mother's Day and Father's Day. No. And I was like, yo, that's that's weird. I, that that actually makes me upset because it's like you murdered your mother and father. And now you're like, well, I want to go out on Mother's Day or Father's Day. Yeah, and I read it aloud. There should be a law just against her. (laughs) Specifically her. (laughs) If I'm ever in the Brazilian judicial system, I make a law against her. Well, like, it's even weirder because like, she talks about getting out a lot. And she, she's still in contact with her friends. Like, it's weird. Like, she still talks to her friends. I and and they, like, they have combos about, like, she talks about, like, if she gets out, she wants to have, like, an anonymous life and get a husband or whatever and have kids. And I'm like, that's a natural thing to want, but I think it's, like, after. It's, like, you, you murdered your 
parents, you're in jail. And she's just like, I need to get out soon. Um, so I'm appealing to the court. Also, I want kids. And I'm like, oh my God, it's just, it's just so strange to me. It is. I, I can't. <laughs> oh, and also, this is kind of random, and I'm basically done with my evaluation, but okay. she was dating her lawyer. She was dating her lawyer during the trial. I like, thought her and Daniel were still together. I thought they had, like, broken up sometime before the Gomez girl. No, she was seeing... She, she had sexual relations with her lawyer. So immediately um, once they're caught, she leaves them guys. Yeah, no, like, literally after she went to prison, she didn't talk to him, broke up, like, in prison. She was like, yeah, no. And I was like, well, even before she went to jail, because if she's having these sexual relations with her lawyer, then that means they might have been broken up. No, they talked in prison, though. Like, there there were records of, like, she broke up with him in prison because he used to visit her all the time, even when she was in jail. And then he stopped. That's how they knew they broke up. Wait, her and the lawyer or her and Daniel? Her and the lawyer. Like, I was like, I was like, because this one person did, like, a whole, like, evaluation on it. And I was like, they were an American um, student that, like, went to Brazil and was, like, studying criminology. And they did, like, a report in it. Yes, thank you. But, like, it was really weird. Because I was like, she was seeing her lawyer. During the trial. And after the the trial. trial. And after the trial. No. And then, like, broke up with him in prison. Like, that's so weird. If that doesn't show her manipulation. No, that's what I'm saying. She's so manipulative to the point that she just went that far. She slept with her lawyer. And then once he did what she want like once he failed what she wanted him to do she's like bye bye you failed me so i'm I'm not gonna be sleeping with you anymore basically no can't get behind it like you do you with what you want like if you want to sleep around with people you do that as long as you respect she's so prison but to sleep with your lawyer so that you can hope that he presents a good like defense for you and then you break up with him as soon as that defense fails That's a no from me. (laughs) It's just manipulative and it's weird. And it's like the amount of like, the inmates describe her as getting around. Like she's, yeah, she's been engaged. She's had relations with her lawyer. She like, but that's not all the, she goes on dates in prison. Like she has, that's interesting. Like she still has a very active, like love life. And I'm like, like my brain was like, whoa, like what do Brazilian prisons be like? Like I was like, well, you can do that in American prisons yeah, as well, but, but it's, it's like, like there's still, there's like guards present and you can only do it in the prison. Yeah, it's just so strange to me. It's so strange to me. <laughs> I, it, I was like reading about it and I was like, whoa, like, okay. She's Love life down. early. She's like, I'm still young. I'm like, okay, murder. She's in her 30s-ish. She's now. still trying to get out of prison. Like, I'm actually kind of like, she probably like, if her, if her family, if her brother didn't take the money, she could probably get out of prison right now. Yeah, like if her brother didn't sue her for money, like she could have used that, mm-hmm. which is like. But now she has the only money she has left is in two offshore. She can't access in jail. Yeah, she can only access once she leaves jail. I can't. <laughs> That's why the judge was like, "Yeah, no. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. You're not gonna go to your offshore accounts a hundred percent and then pay off somebody to like because Brazil's. I mean, I hate to be critical, but yeah, they're corrupt. <laughs> but like. You can easily. Most governments are. <laughs> Most governments have a level of corruption, and like if we haven't realized that from this series of events, But yeah, that is my evaluation, and quite an interesting, very topic. 
So if you would like to check out anything we discussed today, you can check out our Instagram and Twitter. Over there will be our sources, photos, and additional material. Have a lovely rest of your day. Stay safe, and we will see you next time.